Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Am I tough enough? Strong and stable leadership. Total rhubarb. Hell yes, I'm tough enough. Shut the fridge. Not another one. It's the Politics Show Pubcast. Love podcasts, hate nonces. Welcome to the Politics Show Pubcast. Oi, oi. First fucking episode. We I'm, did it. I, we did it. We did it. I'm joined by the inestimable Ava Santina, Politics Joe's political correspondent. Ed Campbell, also a relentless Paul Joe team member. Welcome, chaps. Ooh, ooh. I'm, rel- I'm relentlessly relentless. a member of this company's staff. <laughs> <laughs> I'm absolutely dogged in my pursuit of employment. He just won't quit, and you have to respect him for it. Uh, it's been a very busy day. In Parliament, guys, we'll chat through a little bit of PMQs, and there's also a small matter of the coronation of a new head of state to get into. Um, first things first, Ava, you are our lobby-accredited uh, journalist, the only serious journalist among us here. Mm, thank you. So why don't you? <laughs> thank you. Game recognised game. Uh, why don't you? Why don't you explain or run us through a little bit of what happened uh, in the House of Commons today? So. Labour leader Keir Starmer, he started off on housing and he was talking about the deposit that young people would need to save in order to buy a house. And he lowballed it. He went for £9,000. He said mm. savers would need to accrue £9,000, which is impossible unless they put away a set amount over four years, which was very difficult. Now, not to be really boring, but... <laughs> Let's start. Let's start with this. Uh, <laughs> Good podcast um, for doing. Yeah, well, a cursory look at the figures across the UK's major cities. If you look at Birmingham, the average first-time buyer, they put down £38,000 as their deposit. Liverpool and Manchester, around 28 k And in London, I'm going to knock you senseless, <laughs> it's around £115,000. So he lowballed it. And I reckon he could have done a real good punch on Rishi there with a little bit more looking into it. I, yeah, I don't know what the, the source of those figures is. I don't know where he's got them from. I thought you meant mine. No, no, no. I was like, I don't know how I let you get away with saying that even on this podcast. I'm going to you on this podcast. No, I don't know because if, so if you don't do help to buy, the the least amount of deposit you can put down, full stop anywhere, is 10%. Since Liz Truss destroyed the the mortgage market, basically no bank will give you 10%. You'll have to put down a 15% deposit. But let's just say you do do 10. Show me a house worth 90 grand. 
Mm. Mm. Well, that's not in a major city where that, that have jobs that young people or graduates can immediately fall into. And look, we're not saying that everyone wants to live in a major city. That's not the argument. The point is, you shouldn't you shouldn't curtail cities away from people who can't afford it. The point for me is that I think young people, the, there's like a key economic political choice that every young person in this country faces. You essentially have to choose between the job you want or owning a home. Mm. If you want to, I, Lord, what do you, I don't know, do you want to become a lawyer? Do you want to become a doctor? That's actually, you can probably do that in most places. But you know, you basically, most sort of employment opportunities, particularly for young people in this country, are centered at the urban centers, right? That's where you go. You go to London, you go to Manchester, you go to Birmingham. And that's fine, dandy, you'll go, you can get rented accommodation. However, your prospects of ever owning a home in those places. So much lower. So, so, so much lower. So that's on the one hand. Or alternatively, you stay in the place you grew up maybe, uh, market town, village, wherever, where the housing is more affordable, you'll be able to get on the ladder, but the selection you have available to you in terms of gainful employment is really, really quite limited. Maybe there's, I don't know, maybe I'm thinking of my hometown, there's a, there's a, there's a call center. So, you know, maybe you can go be a manager in the call center. Maybe you can work at McDonald's, but you know, you're not, there, there weren't very many opportunities to become a journalist in the West Midlands, you know? No. But it's also that there is probably one managerial role in each of those professions you've just spoken about. So everyone can't do it. That's the whole point of, you know, spread around the country is people move to take up different jobs and different positions. Not every town caters to every person that was born mm. there. That's the point. Mm. And it's, also, it's also the converse in that people who live in the cities or born in the cities where housing is getting more and more expensive, you shouldn't have to move halfway across the country to be able to afford a home like the 90 grand house is that only in deepest northern England what if you're from central what if you're born in zone 2 mm. where all your family are there so you want, you're supposed to move somewhere where you know nobody you have no social structure for the sake of owning a home you wouldn't well do I'm going to bore you bore you Edward and tell you that's exactly <laughs> what did happen to London is that most places around zone 2 is actually where people lived like my mum's family are all from Bermondsey and they now all live in you know quite far out they live like Essex way and that's because they were pushed out by gentrification to make way for people who could afford those houses in that area and I guess we then get into a moral quandary don't we of is that fair on on the face of it no but capitalism prevails <laughs> thank god <laughs> <laughs> too fucking right um yeah there's there's two sides to the coin here isn't there like we're talking about how difficult it is to get a mortgage how high interest rates are and the resulting impact on what people will pay monthly but rent prices are also spiraling mm -hmm. in the country as well and it's it's i'm i would applaud keir starmer for talking about the issue of housing mm. in in prime minister's questions it was notable for me in the chancellor's budget which is what more than just over a month ago now i think not a word about about housing during during that got during that Hour and because half it long. would embarrass them because they've had to put up interest rates and that affects everyone's mortgages. You know, they never talk about they never talk about buy to let landlords whose mortgages have gone up and that price hasn't fallen on the landlords. Who it's speaks? fallen on the renters. Who speaks for the landlords? Mm. Who speaks well, for the landlords in this country? Will. Yeah, that's that's my job <laughs> on this you've podcast. Like, you've got ten buy to let properties. Yeah, you? I do. Uh, well, it's fifteen if you have a good year this year. So. Be careful, because <laughs> no one gets the jokes that we make. So. <laughs> yeah, that wasn't a joke. That was true. Always yeah, my landlord. Dead honest. Um, yeah. So let's talk about rent as well, because you know, rent. This is one of the things that annoys me, particularly about discussions around inflation in 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 the countries. People would tell you, you no, know, CPI, RPI, it's ten percent, twelve percent, thirteen percent. But when you dial into 
the sort of the sources of that inflation and where it's coming from. Food price inflation is like it's it's insane. You know, part loaves of bread, for example. You know, you're looking, you're touching close to thirty percent at certain points over the last year. Um, Talk about cheese, Ollie. That's where <laughs> we've really felt it. I love cheddar, um, but rent as well. You know, rent prices are spiraling. I I know friends who have struggled. Literally, they've been, they've lost flats because the landlord's gone. I want an extra two hundred quid from you next for the next year, and they've gone. Well, obviously, I can't afford to pay that. Then they get trapped in the absolute hellish process of trying to rent a property where they're asked to pay deposits on flats that they haven't seen, if they go and look at them and don't like them, they've that grand that they've given to the landlord secure viewing, they've lost that. You're literally there like refreshing on Rightmove and Zoopla looking at homes and waiting for 9am, it's like trying to get a Glastonbury ticket or something, waiting until 9am for the estate agent to open so you can call him and he's going, no, I've already spoke, got 50 viewings booked in. My, my friends recently, obviously this is a very unique circumstance they've secured a flat and i think the deposit that they paid it was 15 grand because it was six months rent Wait, up front what what is that not, like they paid rent up front in, like in, 15 in, grand in fairness not in fairness because it's ridiculous but one of them is in the very unique position of he is like a very wealthy startup founder all right um so he's he had 15 grand. I, I think the other two were like, well. You've got friends in like, startups. You never talked to me about this before. Do you want, do you want, do you want an introduction? To 15 grand, did you say? Give me a 15 grand deposit. He's, he's, he's handing them out. Um, but like, that's lunacy, isn't it? Mm. But imagine being the letting agent or the landlord in good faith saying, you want this really shit three bed? You better stump up 15 big ones. Like it's. Yeah. Who has 15 grand to just give? My pal? landlord put it um, up to, uh, from 1800 was my rent in Tottenham. And they were like, the, the very nice letting agent was like, oh, the landlord's gonna put the rent up. I was like, okay, must be probably about 10%. Came back with 2400. Oh my gosh. Nearly blew my face off, I couldn't <laughs> believe it. What the, I mean, 2400, yeah, yeah, yeah. For two people to rent a flat that in Tottenham, that is ridiculous. Yeah, that's, that's absurd. Still though, I'm glad. Uh, he's trying to talk about housing, even if it is from us. I'd I'd really like to know why he thinks it's a nine nine grand deposit. Like, what yeah. what's he buying? Well, I guess I suppose if you look at you know areas of the country, if you look in like outer Ox Oxfordshire, I just had a cursory look earlier when he was talking <laughs> about this. You can buy nice three bedroom homes that are eighty five thousand pounds, but the problem is is that if you don't work in farming or you don't work in a restaurant that's in the area or a bar pub sorry then you can't live there because you don't have any income it's just it's also transport basically the uk needs a huge infrastructure rehaul we need to rethink how we're doing transport we need to rethink where we're putting hubs for business and different bases and then we can talk about housing sprawl and we can talk about people moving to areas that aren't major cities but to try and solve it as well just move to oxfordshire now we can't mm -hmm. sounds an awful like your shilling for the 15 minute city uh lobby listen <laughs> that was actually a really good proposal that got really watered down you know who was good with that blair Blair got, <laughs> Blair got that. He had the Sure Start program, and what he did was in areas where there were schools that were more deprived, he would put the food bank really local, mental health services very local, antenatal services like right nearby, so that mothers could go within 15 minutes to get to all of these services, and it meant the communities were stronger because of it. That's actually a big lie. 
from uh, the Illuminati. I'm afraid you've, afraid you've fallen for it, Ava. <laughs> <laughs> One mark against you. <laughs> yeah. You're being marked on your I love. I love like a fairly banal uh, urban planning measure that's like, yeah, it should be okay for people to live uh, in an area where basically all of the amenities that they require are within a 15 minute journey of where they live. Mm -hmm. And then the sort of like anti-vax telegram lobby are like, no, they want to impose a social credit system that means that if you travel more than 15 minutes away from your home, you you will be irreparably damaged, and you know you won't be able to you won't be able to leave the country ever again, or you have to pay a fine or something. It's just see, see, see if you're in that mindset. Life must be terrifying, mm. as in every single measure which might help you, you're inherently suspicious of. That just must be like if you genu if you genuinely sincerely believe that, you must be like shitting yourself every time you leave the house about what the government's going to get you for. Yeah, but I can calm down because driving, hypothetically, my child an hour to school, I've got a lot of thinking time. <laughs> so I can really calm down there. <laughs> and then another hour to get to the you, doctor's surgery. Yeah, yeah, a yeah. Lot, lot of reflecting time. We have never had it so good. It's the Politics Show podcast. Stephen Flynn followed up Keir Starmer uh, in Prime Minister's Questions. Ava, what did um, Mr. Flynn ask the Prime Minister about? Uh, Flynn went on student loans, mm. which Ooh. was uh, very interesting, actually. He was talking about, well, I suppose because it's been in the news the past week, Keir Starmer has reneged on a policy originally put out during the Corbyn era, which was to abolish tuition fees. Um, a lot in the, of the big narrative at the moment has been talking about this huge debt that is encumbered on the nation because we are now paying a graduate tax rather than graduates paying back the loans themselves. And those loans are accruing interest, variable interest, somewhere between nine and 12% every year, which means most graduates don't actually, they're accruing more interest than they're actually able to pay back. And that uh, figure will be, uh, the national debt will be 460 billion pounds <laughs> in unpaid loans by 2040. Slightly so absurd. that's what Stephen Flynn was addressing. I'm just, I'm just looking at Keir Starmer's 10 pledges. Because, you know, he says in that leadership contest, I've, I've seen the clips like flying around on Twitter where he's basically like, he's not just saying, oh, I think we should abolish tuition fees. He's like, it is morally wrong that we have tuition fees. And I think, I'm, has he, has he reneged on all of the 10 pledges for the leadership yeah. contest? But you know, I think that he's in a really tricky position at the moment. Not to, I, I think that what he's essentially trying to do, he's trying to pit himself as, the guy who will not leave um, the Treasury bankrupt. And I think perhaps announcing a policy which is we're going to eradicate student debt would frighten a lot of potential voters. And I understand that. But a conversation we could be having is getting rid of the interest on those loans because it's obscene that you know kids are graduating university at 23 and by the time they're 29, their 41,000 pound loan is now Fifty-six thousand pounds, and they've actually been paying towards it. Yeah, but yeah. you might as well take out like a good, you know, local supermarket loan rather than because <laughs> no, because yeah. you'd you'd get a really low interest rate compared to that. My interest rate is higher than what I'm paying it back. Like mm. it's getting it's getting bigger than than pay tuition fees. Oh yeah, <laughs> <Forget>. <laughs> fucking prick. Oh, so, sorry. Yeah. That's oh. <laughs> it's not because he went to Scotland, it's because his dad paid for it. <laughs> <laughs> dad, give me a blank check before the beginning of term. Right, okay, 10 pledges. Number one, economic justice. Increase income tax for the top 5% of earners, reverse the Tories' cuts in corporation tax, and clamp down on tax avoidance, particularly of large corporations. No stepping back from our core principles. 
Not once. Um, that final sentence, I think, would be the killer there for them because he clearly has stepped back from his core several, principles. Several times. Several several, uh, most, of, most of the principles. If you don't like the ones, these principles, I've got others. <laughs> Number two, social justice. Abolish universal credit and end the Tories' cruel sanctions regime. Set a national goal for well-being to make health as important as GDP. Invest in services that help shift to a preventative approach. Stand up for universal services and defend our NHS. Support the abolition of tuition fees and invest in lifelong learning. So for the, for the well for the former he did try he has he has pledged to yeah but the latter no you so, can do that little yeah there. so <coughs> I have I have done it yeah so <coughs> tuition fees that's 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 a big old uh, reversal number three climate justice put the green new deal at the heart of everything we do there is no issue more important to our future than the climate emergency a clean air act to tackle pollution locally demand international action on climate rights. We're going to talk about this a little bit more in more detail like next, so I don't want to hang back, but I actually think they are kind of sort of semi-committed to that, and I think maybe not in the same sense, because obviously in the Corbyn manifesto there was that huge like new Green New Deal component that was radical investment in infrastructure and overhauling of the economy, and I'm actually really interested in what Labour is going to do on, in terms of yeah. green energy. So Don't any, entice me, I'm so excited. That's coming later, dear listener, get ready for that. Um, promote peace and human rights, number four. No more illegal wars. Introduce a Prevention of Military Intervention Act and put human rights at the heart of foreign policy. Remove all UK arms sales and make us a force for international peace and justice. Um, Very Corbyn, that, part, that one in particular. Yeah, that was extremely Corbyn. Super Corbyn, actually. He probably Super anti-NATO, which was one of Corbyn's big pledges. Yeah, it's quite anti-NATO. Yeah. Uh, he also does quite a few events with BAE, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. And actually, during the football, when the World Cup... I don't know. You you two watch it more than I do. It was the World Cup was the last big thing, right? Or Euros? World I Cup don't know. You guys December. were watching a lot of football and everyone was watching it. <laughs> in fact, a lot of people were watching a lot of football. Anyway, <laughs> during that, yes, he watched... He did watch a few of the games and invited a lot of business leaders who might be involved in some of the things you just laid out. Mm. But yeah, I mean, he hasn't invaded anywhere yet, so he has he, he has made chance. Yeah, give him time. Uh, we'll see. We'll see about the no more illegal wars thing. Um, five. Funny point to make. Where would me. you Where would you go for? He goes for like Uruguay. <laughs> what would be like the worst, the worst imagery, like an attack on social democracy? So uh, Isle of Wight or something. Isle of Wight. Yeah, definitely. That's the worst place you could. Do. Could you invade your yeah. own country? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you can. Uh, in my uh, in my plan. You make it like, okay, so you know how we have like a big problem with swans in the UK? Tell me about it. Yeah, yeah. huge problem with them. We deport all of the swans to the Isle of Wight. Perfect. What about, what about the residents of the Isle of Wight? Well, that, that's an invasion, Ed. We don't care <laughs> what invasion happens to them. Five, common ownership. Public services should be in public hands, not making profits for shareholders. Support common ownership of, here we go, rail, mail, energy and water, end outsourcing in our NHS, local government and justice system uh i mean that is just all that's all that's all gone right mm. that's all that's all a complete reversal other than uh common ownership of energy him was it uh british british energy was the uh man of the um excuse me the conference announcement that was the big conference announcement for him yeah but it? i think that will be altered quite a bit i think that will change radically have you got more pledges because otherwise we can get into energy yeah, I do have more pledges, but I mean, it's defend migrants' rights. I mean, no. Strengthen workers' rights and trade unions. Haven't seen him on a picket line. Radical devolution of power, wealth, and opportunity. Yeah, Kit, I'm also really looking forward to the coronation. Nine, <laughs> equality. Yeah, I think he has kind of stuck to that. Ten, effective opposition to the Tories. I, th I think what's interesting about Starmer, particularly with student debt, like, 
who does this appeal to? Is it is a, a lot of like taxes in being introduced is to be like for the, when the Tories do it, they make sure the elderly pay less tax and the young pay more tax because the elderly are the Tories' base. If you're alienating the young people, but not to the benefit of elderly people, that's just lowering. You're not enticing anyone to get on your side. Like, who's this for? It's just. I did. I I look at this and I. I think you can you can look in the same way like going through those pledges and looking about the stuff that he said he would adopt and then is like you know done the opposite. Um, it seems to me that his Starmer's Labour strategy is well, it's not actually just to, to sort of take the votes for granted of the traditional Labour base. It's not just to go look; those people are always going to vote for us, so uh, I don't need to worry about them. And then try and set about convincing your swing voters that will helpfully get them to win an election. This is this is almost like like actively alienating the base. It seems it seems weirdly antagonistic. I actually disagree with you. Go on. No, I slightly agree, but also disagree. So <laughs> I think that he's going after the swing voters rather than the base. Mm. And I think that possibly a few months before the general election is when he'll start appealing to the people who would traditionally vote Labour. So I wouldn't be surprised if a couple of months, maybe even six months before you'd start seeing him unveil maybe a housing policy. I was thinking like, this, this is just off the top of my head, something like a maybe 110% mortgage back guarantee. If you're a renter who's paid seven months rent, you get a government backed 110% mortgage, similar to what they did in the 80s. But energy is where they get exciting. And energy is kind of the only proposal on the table that I think appeals to the under 40s. And it's not just that it's gonna be green, what they're looking at is making the UK completely self-sufficient so you wouldn't have a potential energy crisis in 20 years time again. So what they want to do is build nuclear power stations. They take 10 years and Nick Clegg famously 10 years ago denied the country any <laughs> construction of a nuclear power station. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And where would we be if it hadn't been for Nick Clegg? Not just him, successive governments, yeah. Uh, people are, people obviously do get like quite angsty about uh, nuclear power and we need it, but you're right. And also there's a really interesting sort of like, uh, the way we talk, the way I'm talking about Keir there and how I'm frustrated by his sort of like reversal on the sort of economically radical and social justice parts of those pledges. There is a tied up in that sort of green energy side of things. There is also quite powerful, almost like economically populist ideas around Shell. You know, thirty-two billion. Uh, I think it is in in pounds. Bang on, yes. <laughs> um, you know, they're one of the largest uh, British, one of the largest profits in British corporate history, and the best performance in its hundred and fifteen year history. While BP, you know, more than doubled annual profits to twenty-eight billion dollars. There is a real like tax the bastards and then don't give them the get out of jail free that Rishi's provided with that investment clause that basically allows them to write off all of that windfall tax. Hammer those guys who have been price gouging during this crisis. Make them pay what they owe. Windfall them. I, I wouldn't have a problem with taking basically all of that. I don't, like, I don't think a war like happening on, on European soil means that you get to have 30 billion quid. I just, I just don't, I think yeah. it's like, yeah, f unlucky. That's outrageous. <laughs> I think, I think we get to have it's it. It's extraordinary as well, isn't it? How you explain those profits because I can't quite comprehend them. No. I can't get it around my head that that's what they're, they're bringing in. Someone the other day was on a 
broadcaster talking about, yeah, but they're projected profits. And, you know, they don't know if their, you know, windfall won't be as big next year. So they need <laughs> to bring it in now. <laughs> I, just, I wanted to reach through the screen and strangle him. Yeah, I mean, look, I think you can be pretty certain that those guys are going to keep posting record profits. I'd also urge listeners to keep an eye out for supermarket um postings tesco sainsbury's etc who have also again been price gouging in a way during this crisis oh yeah inflation's up well we better jack our prices what's inflation at 10 percent? oh should we go for 25 <laughs> should we go for 30 because we can kind of get away get get away with it do you know who did that the best tell me a really high brand supermarket who i won't say the name of but which one there's two a good okay okay a very is that enough plausible deniability does that stand up in court what they've five. done compared to the other the other supermarkets is they've kept all their basics at the same price that they were before the ukraine invasion and before the pandemic so they've kept them all at normal prices you can buy beans still for 40 pence normal pricing but they've inflated their focaccia and their, uh, their lentil soup and things like that to extraordinary amounts, which means that's how they're price gouging. It's quite Robin Hood-esque. Yeah. I think some of the other, um, some of the other products, like at the other supermarkets as well, it is, it's the cheaper items, isn't it? That's where the, like, the hefty inflation is happening and that's where it's really hurting people. But like I was saying, sorry, I think there is like, there's really powerful economic arguments about justice, about like a fair tax system and actually being quite progressive and quite left-wing. And I, I agree with you. I think that's where energy can be really fertile ground ground for labor particularly if it does end up in this kind of like green new deal type stimulus package if you look at what biden's done in the states if you look at what the eu's done chuck a fuckload of money into the system investment i mean it does fall down kind of in the, the realms of practicality when you're looking at you know uh the british government has been trying to build high like a high-speed rail rail line uh, for Ever. years and years and I saw some crazy stuff I can't remember it exactly but it's something like since the mid 90s Spain has built 3,000 miles of high speed rail track and in that time the UK has built 50 or something <laughs> and I just I really worry I, 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 I love the ambition of you know um, the Labour Party saying yeah we're going to go on this radical uh, overhaul of our energy system solar wind tidal nuclear the erection of pylons all across this country. No giggles from you two there. And the <laughs> word direction. I yeah. was still laughing at the farce of solar panels. <laughs> but seriously, you know, it's pretty, it's pretty radical ideas and like quite transformative ideas about the country. Um, I would just like to see those kind of the, that kind of strength of feeling and thought on the other parts of the la see, of the Labour front bench. See how um, the IEA is always on BBC politics, etc. Mm. Who is the left wing equivalent that we can uncritically platform that we can have just just have on a permanent a permanent open spot? Torsten Bell, open invitation to Ed, Torsten. Ed Miliband. Ed Miliband can come on oh, whenever yeah. he wants. <laughs> <laughs> Ed Miliband, friend of politics, Joe. A quick brainstorm of guests that can come on whenever they want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's definitely Ed Miliband. I think there's always a seat for Ed Miliband at the table. It's the seat you're currently sat in. Yeah, obviously. So. <laughs> you can sit on me. Would you give it up for him? Oh, for sure. Yeah. No, I think it's interesting. And also, I, just a quick word on Ed Miliband. I think he's kind of, it's interesting seeing him. It feels like he's almost freed, of, now that he's freed of the weight of leadership. Seeing him, how he performs at the dispatch box and when he's talking about these and coming up with ideas like this. It almost makes you, you yearn for the, the 2010, 2015 soft left years, <laughs> um, which is bizarre. Not something I thought I'd ever, uh, I'd ever say. But yeah, no, I think, I think there's some interesting ideas yeah. there. And it's also important not to just completely rag on the Labour Party because I do think they've got some, some interesting stuff going on there as yeah. well. 
But the, the problem with them as well is that they're in a really uncomfortable position where the sticking plaster politics that Keir Starmer <laughs> always... No, hang on, but Keir Starmer always talks about, he's actually going to fall victim to that because we have now, for the last 13 years, we've got used to to just kind of covering up and paving over and doing quick fixes. Labour coming in and wanting to do radical industrial turnover, that's going to be really difficult to sell to the public. Like, oh, hey, we're going to come in and we're actually going to spend loads of your money. Mm. That's a really hard sell. Mm. But it's actually the only way that the UK can get itself out of the crisis that it's currently facing. But then I wonder if the public would be very... I wonder if the public would be receptive in that they've spent no money for the past... 13 years and everything's shit I think that's quite I actually mm. think that's quite yeah that's a really good point a relatively easy thing to sell like oh, do you remember that youth centre we're going to open it like mm. I, I, like it's it's, it's I, the, I think the argument you've made or that's the argument the Conservatives will make about like they're going to spend all your money I think with the right packaging and the right phrasing to perhaps typically unreceptive unimaginative <laughs> British public I think that could be you'd hope it'd be an easy sell as we're going to spend all, a lot of your money, a lot of public money, and things will improve. That's a seems an easy thing to. But then it's manage. so easy for the Tories to then go. You can't just spend your way out of the crisis. Yes, absolutely. And the British public who, is. Who was that an impression of? You. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I also do think the British public is terminally unimaginative when it comes to policies. And receptiveness That's good. Leave it there. Calling the British people thick. <laughs> I didn't say that. I said unimaginable. Apart from you, dear listener. Um, <laughs> no, I, 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 yeah. There's the like the perpetual fear, right? Is you look at the polling and you go, wow, like twenty points ahead. Wow, this is pretty, pretty extraordinary. Maybe, maybe there is going to be a Labour government, and then you get to polling day and everyone goes, nah, nah, nah. <laughs> nah have another I go. I like being, I like being miserable. Yeah, I just love the taste of that fucking boot. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Total rhubarb. It's the Politics Show podcast. Um, there's another quite substantial news event that's been uh, happening. Speaking of bootlegging. <laughs> yes, but speaking of that delicious fucking boot, let's talk about yeah, let's talk of the coronation, eh? Uh, both of you have been down to the Mall uh, today and yesterday. Me for work, Asia for le- Ava for leisure. Yeah. <laughs> I hated every moment of it. I'm really sorry. If you had been here yesterday, I wouldn't have subjected myself to it. What's the vibe like in in the main room? How's it How's it feeling in there? I think it was. I, I I went. Before, I've been a couple of times down to the mall for royal events in the past year. Not for you know you're on camera. Listeners, Ava was just miming a blowjob. <laughs> you like a... <laughs> are in for some fucking tweets, Ava Santina. Woo! Oh my days! Oh my days! Go on, Ed. Sorry. Keep going. Keep going. Fuck. I was. I've been down at the mall for Queen's Jubilee, 
Queen's funeral, this one. I met a woman today who I met last year, a woman called Lucy. She was very nice. She was delighted. She was actually there with friends she'd made from Uruguay and Kansas the previous year. When you go down, like, it is genuinely a really pleasant atmosphere. These people are there because they all have a shared interest, common interest. They're there to celebrate it. So it is, it is like a party atmosphere. Would I do it myself? No. I don't think I would sleep on the pavement for any reason. I don't think. I think it's. I think it's an interesting choice. You not think that's a good assignment, Fed? No, obviously not. But late. I camped out on the mall. No, but, I'd, I'd quit. No, it's just he just <laughs> he just he doesn't need to because he's you know he lives in London. He if if he if he was coming from Glasgow, he would obviously come down a couple of days earlier and camp. So he had a good spot because when he wants to make his pledge of allegiance to the king, he doesn't want to be in as close proximity to him as I've, possible. I've said it every weekend. day when I wake up just to practice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, well, it's interesting though. You say people, people would be like you'd be chatting to people and they'd be like, "I'm not really a royalist though." And you're like, well, "Why are you here?" Like, "Oh, just to see it." You're like. Yeah, I think Nick, I saw Nick Cave said something about it recently, and it was he'd been, I think he's been invited and he's going, and it and it I actually sort of almost agreed with him where it's like it's basically it's such a monumental historical event, even though you you know, regard whatever you think about the monarchy, you know whatever we can have that argument if we really want to. By the way, it's dumb, um, <laughs> <laughs> but but. It is, it is probably the most significant, other than the death of the Queen, the most significant sort of constitutional event for at least a generation. Yeah. So... A few generations. If they invite you to go, you just go, well, what else am I going to be doing, you know? I, th- I think it would be, be interesting, as in I think the spectacle of it is interesting as like a historical Yeah, artifact. it is. I don't know where I'd fit into it because I love the pomp and the ceremony mm. and I'll definitely watch it just to see the orb. It's extraordinary. Yeah. Like, do you remember um, at the Queen's funeral, they chose like the eight Marines with the best, most expressive faces to carry the coffin. That's why they were chosen because they had like bug eyes and like weird mouths. Really? Like, spe- yeah, that's why they were chosen to carry the... Do you remember that? You know that image? Of the, I think it was on probably the cover of the Times maybe? Was all of this like really a marine carrying the coffin right at the front, and his face his face is contorted in like agony. He was picked because his face can do that. I <laughs> think that I think that like the ceremony and the thought that goes into it, the whole thing is theatre and spectacle. <laughs> Did the I, queen worry she wasn't going to get the front page? <laughs> 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 I don't know if she chose him specifically, but I think like, it's so interesting the amount of thought, etc. that goes into it, and it's like, you know, they practice they practice at night. Yeah, you know that's been going on like the last few nights. That's what. Yeah, I took. Oh no, you weren't here this morning. I um, I went. I was at Waterloo last night at ten thirty, and there were loads of soldiers mm. in the station. And I was like, "What the hell?" <laughs> I phoned my dad, and I was like, "Oh There's my god, what do you think's happening?" It's a fucking coup. <laughs> it's happening, Dad. Get to Buckingham Palace. Yeah, <laughs> we're raising the flag. Bring well, the boots. Someone I spoke to as well said, "I asked her. I think I asked her about anti-monarchist sentiment, and she said, well you don't need to join in, but don't ruin it for everyone else. And I kind of think, well, say you're a Republican, this event is kind of being inflicted on you. You can't opt in to it. I think that's an, like, it's, in, it's an argument against Republic sentiment, but if there's a bank holiday, if there's a three day celebration for something you fundamentally don't believe in, I think it's quite, it's tricky to not. But would they apply that to the picket line? Everyone's got so much to say about workers, you know, going on strike or taking strike action. Well, do you know what? 
that's my day okay <laughs> that's when i have a good time <laughs> but you're at work um do we do we do we think that the monarchy should be opt-in do we think there's a different model there? i'm a big believer or my new my new uh package of ideas <laughs> Any political long, long party list. would like to uh, commi- uh, commission a strategist. <laughs> <laughs> any any a, political uh, party. Yeah, a subscription model. So there's always this talk about, well, they only cost us a penny per day, each taxpayer, right? Mm. Well, okay, you pay for it and I'll opt out of that subscription. Because for me, I'd rather see Buckingham Palace empty. We could get more tourists in there and generate more income. Tourism will prevail. Um, I don't really care if King Charles has enough security around him. I don't care. So you're basically suggesting King Charles opens an OnlyFans account? Sure. Listen, do you know what? (laughs) If we're going to get really heavy, um, there will be people who will reply to that point and they'll say, well, people will attack King Charles. Well, do you know what? Do you know how many men attack women every single day on our streets and they are never (laughs) held to account? So maybe we should take the money from King Charles and give a personal security guard to every woman that wants to walk the streets past 10 p.m. By herself. Are you bored enough to engage with that point? Uh, No. Neither am I. So that's where we'll finish. (laughs) Uh, Ava Santina, an absolute pleasure. Never a chore. Thanks very much. Cheers, Ed Campbell. uh, Wish I could say the same about you, pal. Um, Thanks very much, everyone. We'll catch you on the next one. Cheers. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 